0: about who God was and what he intends through the words of the songs that they sang. And I think of what we sang this morning, and there's our sermon. Um, I hope I don't distract from that because that's the heart of what we want to be as a church body, as a church family. So uh, as we do look at our passage this morning, I want to just kind of begin by giving a little context. I want to take us back to the beginning when we first started talking about this city of Ephesus. It's important to understand what we talked about to appreciate the context in which Paul will speak to this morning. Remember, Ephesus is one of the three largest cities in the Roman Empire. If you think about that empire in terms of territories, if you go to the west, you have Europe and you have Rome as the central part of that section. In the central, you had Greece and you had Athens as the central part of that region And then if you go to the east, you have Asia, and Ephesus would be the central part of that region. So like Rome and Athens, Ephesus would have been the center of all commercial and political and religious activity of that region. And it's that religious component that is most important for our passage this morning you'll remember one of the things that we talked about is there was this prevailing practice of of magic. And and when you think about that, don't think card trick here. Think sorcery, think spells, curses, black magic. There's this real uh, sense of darkness and evil that was present because of that. In addition to that, there was this whole pantheon of gods and goddesses from Roman and Greek mythology. And the worship of those false gods took All kinds of different forms, one of them being ritual prostitution. And so what that tells us, because of this worship and its prevalence in this community, sexual immorality was just an acceptable norm in that culture. It was a part of the fabric of their society, and that's what Paul will speak to this morning. Now, it's important to us. Because increasingly, it's becoming a part of the fabric of our society as well. You see, prevalence creates social norms in any society. One of the groups that I like to go to that I think gives us an accurate, reliable picture through the research they do is Barna. I think they do valid research, and what they come up with is worth paying attention to. And they did a study as recent as this past year, involving teens and young adults and it might surprise you to know that of those surveyed most considered not recycling to be more immoral than viewing pornography and you think well how could that be (laughs) it's because prevalence creates social norms accessibility makes it acceptable which is the same reason that over 60% of adults in America consider cohabitation or living with someone with whom you're not married to, to be morally acceptable. In fact, in our society today, most consider it to be preferable because over half of the adults in America consider abstinence to be unhealthy, an unhealthy lifestyle for those who are single, men and women alike. So, Much like Ephesus, sexual immorality is just a part of the fabric of our society. And so, what Paul has to say to the Ephesians is very relevant to what he would say to our church today. We need to hear this because, like the Ephesians, we need a wake up call. And not because sexual intimacy in and of itself is inherently bad. In fact, it was God's idea to begin with. It was a blessing that He gave to the covenant relationship of marriage between a man and a woman. It's the way in which a husband and wife communicate to one another. I belong completely, exclusively, and permanently to you. Now, did you hear that? That's covenant language. Completely, exclusively and permanently to you. That describes the the radical act of self-giving. And sexual immorality takes that covenant language and turns it into self-indulgence. It says, I'm interested in you as long as you're good for me. It turns covenant love into something casual, which is not at all what God intended. See, It's the lie of the enemy to make us believe that there's something better outside of God's design. And Paul is going to remind us that Christians are called to be a light in the darkness. We're not supposed to blend in. We're supposed to be set apart. Even to to stand against social norms that go against God's design. And there is no opposition that's stronger than the testimony of a transformed life. You see, when we see the radiance of God's goodness in the life of someone who follows Christ, that's the light that God calls us to shine in the darkness of this world. Before we look at our passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I confess before we even begin that these are hard truths, they're not comfortable to talk about, they're difficult to consider when there's so much compromise that surrounds it, and maybe even in some ways it's hard to figure out how we are to navigate, to to live as light in the darkness of this world. Father, I think you give us some real clear direction this morning. I think you speak to the goodness of your design. The fulfillment and satisfaction that is found in following you. Whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're divorced, whether we're widowed, doesn't matter. In all aspects of life, you have created us to be utterly and completely fulfilled through relationship with you. So, Father, may we understand that even more clearly as we look at your word this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse 1. We'll pick up where we left off last time. So, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself For us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So this is the standard. Everything that we will talk about in the passage from this point forward will go back to these two verses as the standard of which everything will be measured against. As a Christian, our behaviors should reflect God's character. That's why it says, beloved children, be imitators of God pattern your life after what you see in him and that character that life was ultimately revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ he is the radiance of God's glory he is the exact representation of God's nature when you see Jesus you see God and so Paul is telling us as children of God imitate your heavenly father by following the example of of Jesus Christ we are to walk in love just as Christ loved us and then he explains what that love looked like he said it was sacrificial he, he, he said it was something that he was willing to do it was an offering he said it was a fragrant aroma that idea of sacrifice is giving of yourself for the good of someone else and not because they deserve it <laughs> Because we know from Scripture that Christ died for us even while we were yet sinners. It's sacrificing yourself for the good of someone else. But it's also an offering. We look at the life of Christ and we know with certainty that no one forced him to do something that he was unwilling to do. As a good shepherd, he laid down his life for his sheep. It's a fragrant aroma what that means is his sacrifice was good and acceptable in the eyes of God because that was the price that was paid. So that through one sacrifice, all sins for all time for all who believe. Sufficient, good, acceptable in the eyes of God. And so our love should be a reflection of this self-sacrificing love that we see in the example of Christ as a reflection of the heart of God. We are to be selfless, willing. We want our love to be honoring to God. And like Jesus, many times that kind of love, that quality of love is going to cost us something. But like Jesus, it's a price that we're willing to pay for the good of someone else. That's the example we are called to follow. That's the standard. And now, the contrast. Look at verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Immorality, impurity, greed are the antithesis of the self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ. It is the exact opposite of what we are called to do and be. Instead of self-sacrificing, these are examples of of lifestyles that are self-indulgent. Instead of the good of the other, it's getting what I want. These are lifestyles that represent a selfish deviation from God's original design. You see, God ordained sexual intimacy to be something that is shared between a man and a woman in the covenant relationship of marriage. And intimacy outside of that context is a selfish deviation from God's design. So, adultery, outside of God's design. Premarital sex, outside of God's design. Homosexuality, outside of God's design. And seeking fulfillment outside of god's design is ultimately selfish rebellion it's seeking something that's ultimately less than what god intended it to be and not because god gave us this long list of no's don't do this don't do that don't do this he actually gave us one big yes And he says, what you are looking for, the fulfillment that you're seeking, the oneness and intimacy that your heart desires is found here. It's for our protection. And going against God's design is ultimately selfish rebellion. It's simply saying that I know better than he does. It's a lifestyle that dishonors Christ and betrays his example of love that we are called to follow. If we are his children, immorality should not even be named among us. But not just immorality. He he goes on to talk about impurity. And when I hear that, it makes me think of what Jesus said. And he said, when you look at a woman lustfully, you commit adultery in your heart. And and what he's communicating here is that this is an issue of the heart. Because sin that is conceived in the mind is what then eventually gives birth in the life. It starts there. So don't be fooled. Just because pornography is prevalent in our society doesn't make it right. Despite what most believe, it is immoral. It is a betrayal of the example of the love we are called to follow. Immorality, impurity, they're grounded in this core attribute of greed it's the selfish pursuit of something i want even at the expense of someone else and please look closely at this because i want you to see the contrast a christ-like love sacrifices self for the good of someone else do you hear that a christ-like love sacrifices self for the good of someone else immorality impurity And greed do just the opposite. They use someone else to get something for yourself. See the difference? It's such an offense. It's such an offense to the heart and character of God. It's not even something we should make light of. Look at verse 4 again. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks to the Lord. Here's why this is important. See, our conduct is closely connected to our conversations. We make light of things that we really don't see as that big of a deal. And we have to be careful here because here's the pattern of what we see in the world. They take something shameful, they turn it into slang, and now it becomes socially acceptable. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, those are not conversations that we should find ourselves in promoting what ultimately has judgment attached to it. Christians should be people who honor Christ, not only in how we live, but also in what we say. Because here's what Paul is telling the Ephesians. There's way too much at stake to make light of this. And he explains that. Look at verse 5. For this you know with certainty. No immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What we believe determines how we behave. Patterns of behavior become a lifestyle and ultimately your lifestyle is a reflection of your worship what you believe determines how you behave your patterns of behavior become a lifestyle and your lifestyle ultimately reflects that which you worship a life that is centered on something other than honoring God is idolatry what Paul is pointing to here. Is an unrepentant pattern of sin. And since he's writing to believers here, I think he's trying to remind them, to impress upon them the significant consequence to moral compromise, especially to a people who are called to be a light in the darkness of the world around them. In fact, turn to Ephesians chapter 2 again with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We've already looked at this passage, but I want to remind us of what we talked about in this passage. Chapter 2, verse 1. Speaking of who we were apart from Christ, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest like i said when we talked about this passage we recognized that paul was describing who we were apart from christ so let me ask you this why would a child of god who lives in the realm of forgiveness and grace participate condone or make light of a lifestyle that leads to judgment and wrath Wouldn't that be the most unloving thing that we could possibly do? Instead of condoning compromise, we should be promoting the beauty of God's design. We should give thanks for the goodness He built in. Our lives should be a testimony to the satisfaction that is found in following Christ. You see, we don't change our behavior in order to worship God. When we worship God, our behavior changes. This is a heart issue. And it applies to all of us. Look at how he continues in verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and, and righteousness And truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. To partake means to participate along with someone else. It's the idea of fitting in by going along, just kind of getting caught up in the current of the the culture. And Paul says, if God's wrath is real, don't have a lifestyle that would suggest that it isn't. Because here's the danger. And this is what should really humble our hearts deeply. The danger is this. Our enemy can use our compromise to promote their judgment. Our enemy can use our compromise to promote their judgment. When we become partakers, we are promoting a path that leads to destruction. I hope that humbles your heart. Because we live in a world where that is happening all around us. Instead of partaking in darkness, God wants us to be a light to his goodness. He wants our obedience to to reveal righteousness and truth. Look again at at verse 8. For we were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. I want you to notice that our light is in the Lord. In other words, we're not the source of that light. We see it within uh, the the universe where you look at the moon and and it doesn't have light in and of itself. It only shines when it reflects the light of the sun. And the same is true for us. We don't possess that on our own. (laughs) We only bring a reflection that reveals righteousness righteousness and, and truth and life that is found in him, the source of that light. But not because we have all the answers, but only because we are rightly related to the one who does. Let me try to illustrate it this way. How many of you have something that glows in the dark? Some of you stars on your ceiling at night, or Grant has some silly putty, right, that glows in the dark. When you have something like that that is intended to glow in the dark, how do you make sure that it shines bright in the night? You hold it up to the light, don't you? You hold it up to the light. Well, the same thing is true in our relationship with Christ. We are not the source of light. Jesus is. So if you want to shine bright in the night, then stay close to the light. Draw near to Jesus. Goodness and righteousness and truth are not qualities that we possess on our own. We learn them. We understand them from drawing near to Him, the source of all those things. Remember, we don't change our behavior in order to worship God. When we worship God, He changes our behavior. Paul is telling us, those who follow Christ don't be conformed to this world don't fall into the pattern of behavior instead be set apart live a life that is pleasing to god because it is aligned with the example that we see in jesus christ remember he's the standard so like jesus our life should be a light to the beauty of god's design our obedience should reveal goodness and righteousness and truth look at how he finishes in verse 11 Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of the darkness. When I first read that, what immediately came to mind was the Samsung commercial for their Galaxy S7 promoting their new low-light camera. When you listen to that commercial, this is what you're going to hear in the very beginning. It says this. All the best stuff happens in the dark. All the best stuff happens in the dark. That's a great picture of the opinion of the world in which we live. All the best stuff happens in the dark. But Paul is saying, no, that's not true. That's where you get in trouble. (laughs) Our life is rarely blessed by things that are hidden. More often, the deeds of the darkness are what's empty and unfruitful. And in the end, they bring destruction and death. We, We see this being played out just in the way God created nature in itself. Think about this. What happens to a tree when it's hidden in darkness? Can it be healthy and strong? Is that tree going to produce fruit? No, but why? (laughs) Because a tree was designed by God to take light from the sun, turn it into nourishment, so that those nutrients can then allow it to be healthy and strong, and any tree that is healthy and strong will produce good fruit. So if that's true in nature, why wouldn't it be true for us? Instead of hiding in the darkness, we should live in the light. We need the light of Christ to nourish our life. We need His love to help us grow strong, to produce good fruit. And when we see that fruit... That's a sign of a a healthy relationship with the source of light, Jesus Christ. Instead of hiding in the darkness, we should live in the light to the point, as this passage says, that our life actually exposes the ugliness of sin. And here's how I believe that happens. I don't think what Paul's uh, intending here is that somehow we are to point and condemn the, the lifestyle choices of other people. He's not talking about standing on the street corner or holding a sign that's talking about the eternal destiny of those who are living those kinds of st- lifestyles. Instead, I think this is what he means. The radiance of God's goodness should expose the corruption of sin. In other words, our fruitful and fulfilling life our relationship with Jesus Christ should expose what it looks like to have an empty pursuit that doesn't accomplish the same remember there is no witness greater than the testimony of a transformed life living within God's goodness reveals the destruction of deviating from his design we don't have to tell them how bad they are if we show them how good God is do you see what I'm saying? We don't have to point out all their wrong choices if we help them see the blessing built into making the right ones because we are trusting in God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't speak truth in love. But here's think, something I think we need to keep in mind. There's a passage that is written in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. We're familiar with it. Let me read it to you. It says this. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Notice, they're asking you to give an account for the life that you live, essentially. That's your defense. And then what you say is a description of the hope that is within you. They want to see what it is that brings you contentment and satisfaction. You see, we want to live in a way that honors Christ. The church is called to come alive, to wake up, and give the world an example of the fulfillment and the goodness that is built within His design. Now, even as I say that, I don't know that any of you here who are followers of Jesus Christ would disagree with the importance of following his example. I think that's what we all desire, right? But the reality is we live in a a sin-cursed world. And even as Christians, we're not immune to that lure of the forbidden fruit. And it's always been that way in every generation since the beginning of time. In fact, we can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve. And they had, as we know, everything they needed to be complete and fulfilled in Him. They lived in perfect fellowship with God and with His creation. And and out of all that creation, there was only one tree, one tree that had the forbidden fruit. And if you're like me, you hear this story, and I'm thinking in my head, well, then why put the tree there? (laughs) Why, Why is the tree there? And I think it's for this reason, at least in part. I think it's there to promote trust in God I believe Adam and Eve had to live by faith just like you and I they had to trust that God's goodness was built within the boundaries of his design that his goodness was found in trusting in his faithful provision but that's where the deception of the enemy came in right He comes in and tries to convince them that there's something better outside of God's design. If you eat of the forbidden fruit, you have a wisdom that belongs only to God, and he's trying to keep that from you. That if you step outside of the boundaries, then you'll find something that he's holding back. But is that what happened? Instead of greater fulfillment, what do they find? Shame, guilt, separation from God? And even today, that's still where many people live, like Adam and Eve, still hiding, seeking fulfillment in empty pursuits, believing the lie of something better. And I want you to hear me this morning. The gospel says that God is offering something more. The gospel says that Jesus Christ came to restore what sin destroyed that the gospel invites us to live in the fellowship that we were ultimately created for, to trust in God's faithful provision, to experience forgiveness and grace that removes guilt and shame. He wants us to experience the fullness of the life that he originally intended for us, to be blessed by the goodness built into his design. And as Christians, our lives should be a testimony to that truth. We should experience a life that is fulfilling and complete. And listen to me, not because everything goes our way. In fact, I think our greatest testimony is the contentment we have when life doesn't go our way. The joy we find when Christ is all we have. Because we have a conviction that that is all we need. That's the testimony of a transformed life. As Christians, we are to trust in God's provision, even when things don't go our way. The conviction that in the end, he will make all things right. That's a promise. And we hold on to that. So as Christians, we are called to be light in the darkness. We're not supposed to fit in. We're supposed to be set apart, even to stand against social norms that go against God's design. And there is no opposition stronger in the testimony of a transformed life. The Bible tells us to let your light shine before men so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I think when we come across passages like this that have such strong words towards lifestyles that reflect a rebellion against God, that we as believers in Jesus Christ realize that what was underlying that message is a calling for us to live in the goodness of what he intended for us when we are rightly related to him. You see, when we experience the fulfillment of what it means to follow Christ in faith and trust in that faithful provision, we are telling people, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's goodness built into his design. And even when things don't go perfectly, we serve one who is perfect and we are completely and utterly fulfilled in him. And we need each other to encourage each other towards love and good deeds so that we're reminded that everything that we need is ultimately found in him. He alone is our rock, our refuge. And in him, we will not be greatly shaken. So the way we live out the testimony of this passage is display the goodness of what it means to trust Him and live within His design. There's goodness built in. Believe it. Experience it. And share the hope that is within you. Let's pray together. Father, I think uh, as you intended for the Ephesian church to to wake up, (laughs) And to be reminded of all the goodness of who you are and what you created. And and, and that there is hope and fulfillment, forgiveness and grace found in following you. That the gospel calls us to a new and glorious life that is found complete because of you completing us, (laughs) sanctifying us. That our worship is what changes our behavior. We don't change our behavior in order to worship. So, Father, may we be that people. May we live that life. May people see the hope that is within us because of the life that we live and the contentment that is found in following you, following your example, seeing the love of Christ and living that in our life. Protect us from that powerful influence of darkness in the world around us. All the best things don't happen in the dark. All the best things happen when we walk in the light and experience the fullness of everything that you intended because you were good. You are a good, good father. May we live in a faithful trust in your faithful provision. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our example and our savior. Amen. Have a great day.